Well, we're in a series on the book of Matthew, you may have heard, open to Matthew 4. This is our last Matthew before we jump into the Sermon on the Mount next week in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to look at the last three verses of Matthew 4, where Matthew sums up this beginning of the ministry of Jesus in Galilee. You can pull out your outline if you'd like. It's there in your bulletin. Matthew 4, 23 through 25. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, to those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Let's pray together as we dive into God's word. Father, we thank you for this opportunity this morning to gather as a community under the teaching of your holy scriptures, the word that brings life. Thank you for giving us this this venue where we might hear from you together in one place every single week, and we pray that we wouldn't take it for granted, that we would look into this text and uh, that we would see how you might have us to live and to understand you and your relationship to the world As we think about a ministry that brings transformation, uh, we thank you for the ministry of Ernie Richardson over these last many years in the port of call ministry and in in our prayer ministry as he stepped into retirement and all over the place bringing life to everyone he met. We pray that you would make us people like that too, that we would follow Jesus like he did too, and that we would point others to Jesus like he did too. We pray that we would learn about that from this passage today. We pray that you would give us comfort in this time of grief that you'd be with Paulette and, uh, and the whole Richardson family as they walk through this season, and that that would be a special time on Friday as we celebrate his life together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good news travels fast. How many of you know there's a football game going on this afternoon? Do you know about this? Now, you might be some... How many of you are planning to watch this football game this afternoon? All right, about half of you, and then a third are lying, and then there's like four of you who are not. You may be a per- How many of you are not watching the Super Bowl? Oh, come on, really? Well, all right, all right. Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. If you're someone who says, you know what, I don't care. I don't care, like, and it's not just I don't care, but I don't care with an agenda. Like, I definitely don't care about football. I don't want to know. Someone's throwing a ball around in the desert somewhere and millions of people care. Not me. If that's you, how long will you be able to go without finding out who won the Super Bowl? (laughs) Right? Because good news, even if you don't care about it, it travels fast. You're going to try to avoid the game. You're going to try to say, and maybe those of you who have to work this afternoon are going to like TiVo it or whatever it's called, right? And you're going to say, don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me. You're going to find out before you watch it because good news travels lightning fast. You're going to turn on the news tonight and boom, the first story, who won the Super Bowl? 
You're gonna jump on Facebook, every single thing in the feed, who won the Super Bowl. You're gonna tell by who's mad and who's happy. You have some friends who will be depressed tomorrow and you'll say, that's idolatry, it's affecting your physical condition. And they'll say, I'm just sad my team lost the Super Bowl. You know, I didn't wanna know. Because good news, news travels fast, but good news travels fast. You can't avoid it. That's what we see a little bit of in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus starts to do good things and the news travels lightning fast. I mean, he just stepped into ministry. And Jesus had spent like 30 years preparing for this moment. He finally kind of comes out with John the Baptist who baptizes him and says, this is one of us. And God says, he is one of us. And then he goes into the desert. He's tempted. He wins. Then he comes out of the desert, steps into ministry. And three verses later, everyone knows. Jesus is teaching in the synagogues. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And he's healing all types of things. And everyone knows. You imagine what it would be like if this happened today. You get a call from someone who says, "Hey, you got to come to my church." Like, "Well, why? What what's going on at your church?" Like, "Oh, man, there's this new pastor." Like, "You would not believe what's happening at our church." Like, "What's happening at your church?" It's like, "Okay, well, every time he opens the scriptures, he shows us that it's about him." Like, "Your pastor says the scriptures are about him." It's like, "Yeah, I know it sounds crazy, but but then he's telling us that the kingdom is coming and he's going to be the king." And like, "This sounds like a cult, right?" Don't go to that church. It's like, I know, I know, that's what I thought too. But then he started doing crazy stuff. Like people would come in and, and they were blind and he would just pray and boom, they'd see. And this wasn't just like one of those things where like some actor gets paid to come into our church. Like, I know that guy. I, I grew up in youth group with this guy. He's been blind his whole life and now he can see. I don't know what happened. God is using this man. He's healing physical ailments and psychological ailments and spiritual ailments and all kinds of things. People are coming in droves because it's legitimate. It's the real thing. It's, it's happening. And so, yeah, he's saying some crazy stuff, but I'm starting to think it might be true because of what he does. You'd probably still think he was crazy, but you'd want to go and have a look, wouldn't you? <laughs> who is this man who claims to be God? Who is this man who makes the blind see? Who is this man who makes the lame walk? Who is this man who heals and puts the world back together again? And what is he claiming? And could it be true? And do the scriptures line up with what he is saying? Because we see Jesus step into ministry and it just explodes. People are growing and changing and transforming and bringing and being saved and saving. And God is doing a mighty work as the kingdom goes out from Jesus. Sometimes we look at our lives and we say, why doesn't that happen anymore? Why isn't it that the gospel is not picking up speed in my life anymore? And we can think back to a time in our own lives where it seemed like God was working in that way. Everything that happened was great, and we'd pray, and people would be saved, and our neighbors would come to Christ, and our family came to Christ, and great things were happening, but we look into the past and see that, and we look into today, and we say, why isn't God moving in my life anymore? We think back to a time, even in our country, and we remember Billy Graham crusades, and national prayer breakfasts, and everything. I feel like that kind of stuff doesn't happen anymore. Is the kingdom fizzling? And we think back to Jesus' day and people being transformed and changed and healed. And we look around and we hear about those things happening in China and the mission, missionaries who come with Barnabas or hear about that happening in Cuba. And we think, 
I don't feel like God's doing amazing things around me the way he's doing amazing things around other people, even today. Is the kingdom of God kind of fizzling out? And if so, is it dying or does it need to be revived? Is there hope for me? Is there hope for my community? Is there hope for my family and my neighborhood? Can we get back to a place again when God is working in amazing ways through me or through us or through somebody? Matthew uses a really interesting phrase in verse 23. You can write it down. It's the first blank on your outline there. He talks about the gospel of the kingdom. Your Bible might say the good news of the Kingdom That Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. That word good news is the word gospel in the Greek language. And that's the word when we talk about the gospel, we use the same word, it's the gospel. But Matthew says the gospel of the kingdom. You know, when we think about the gospel, we think about the death and the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus wasn't talking about that yet. You know, we know the gospel, like I said, it just means good news. It's it's something good is happening. He's telling the good news about the kingdom. And yet Matthew uses this phrase a number of times as you walk through his book. He says gospel four times. He says the gospel of the kingdom three times. Jesus, as he starts walking into this planet, was proclaiming good news about a kingdom that was coming. And sometimes I think that when we proclaim the gospel... It doesn't sound like good news. Have you noticed that? John the Baptist, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent. And it sounded like good news. But when we tell people to repent, it doesn't, right? When Jesus preaches about the kingdom, it's the good news of the kingdom. But when we try to tell people about Jesus, it sounds like we're trying to tell them they're going to hell or something. I heard someone say one time, there's no such thing as good news without bad news. I think that's totally false. That's not true. I remember when our first son was born, we called people and said, great news, we've got a baby. Nobody said, well, what's the bad news? I could have said, like, well, I mean, our independence is over, whatever. But, like, you you don't say that because some things are just good news. And the way the Bible authors present the gospel is it's just good news. It's something to be proclaimed. You know, like there's sometimes you come to someone and sit down and say, hey, good news and bad news. But when there's something that should be shouted from the rooftops, you don't shout from the rooftops, I've got good news and bad news for you, right? It's just good news. Blank won the Super Bowl. Could be good news to you. (laughs) My wife is pregnant. Good news, usually. I got into grad school, good news, right? No bad news, just good news. But sometimes we present the gospel and it sounds like bad news. So I remember going to a Billy Graham crusade when I was a kid and, and he preached kind of the classic gospel, you know? Like, there's a God, he created us, we rebelled against him and Jesus died for our sins. He rose to new life and he offers new life. And I thought, awesome, good news, But I remember walking in there, I already knew that I was kind of messed up. I knew that I was a sinner. I I knew there was a God and I wasn't following him. And so I needed a guy like Billy Graham to activate my faith. 
To say, you know what, hey, I know you've known for your whole life you've been wandering from the God of the universe and his son Jesus. Now let me tell you, if you come to him, he'll accept you, he'll forgive you of all that, he'll give you a new life. And I thought, that's good news. But when I try to bring that same message to people today, who've never heard about the gospel, who don't know about the God of the universe, who've never heard about Jesus sometimes, have you ever tried to do that and you realize you get stuck in the weeds of the bad news? You tell them, hey, I got great news for you. God wants to forgive your sins. And they say, my what? Like, oh, oh, I didn't know you didn't know you had those. Um, okay, uh, we rebelled against God. And I didn't rebel against God. Well, you did. You just didn't know you did. So, well, how can I be held accountable for that? So, well, uh, well, I mean, he wants to save you, though. Save me from what? Your sins. What, what are my sins? Oh, he's going to kill you. He's going to kill me? Yeah, he's going to throw you in hell forever. But no, there's good news. Like, well, I just heard about this God, and now he wants to throw me in hell forever? You're like, ah, oh, no, it's good news. So trust me, it's good news. Right? <laughs> how many of you had that conversation? Jeez. So some people say we need to change our gospel to connect better with people. That's not the answer. That's not the answer. But that one thing I think we do need to understand is that the different authors of Scripture focused in on different aspects of the gospel that were good news. Like it is good news that your sins are forgiven. That's good news. But that's not the only thing that's good about the gospel. Matthew talks about the kingdom. You can write that down. Matthew talks about the kingdom. He says the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus was proclaiming, that there's a kingdom, a king on his throne. He's gathering people from every nation to himself. He's going to rule over the world with justice and goodness. And in this kingdom, there'll be no tears. That's good news. And that's part of the gospel. Paul, when he talks about the gospel, he talks about the righteousness that comes from the death and resurrection of Jesus. If you've been trained on how to preach the gospel or present the gospel in the last, like, 20 years... You were probably trained on the Paul mode of the gospel. Same gospel. It's about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus and the good news that comes from that. But when you go through the Romans road, how many of you have heard of the Romans road? Right? You jump around and you talk through righteousness. That we've all sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because what the cross, the empty tomb did, is it cleansed us of all of our sins. And that's good news. And that's true. And that's the way that Paul talked about the gospel. The good news of the righteousness that comes by faith. The Romans 3, 22 and 23 says this. Paul's words, but now apart from the law, a righteousness, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That's Paul's good news. He's talking to the people in Rome who believe in Jesus and says, you don't need to be righteous by doing good things. You're righteous because of the finished work of Christ. A lens of the gospel that focuses on the righteousness that comes through faith. The Apostle John, when he talked about the gospel, he focused in on the eternal life. John 10.10 says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In his first epistle, 1 John 5, John says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. When John talks about the goodness of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he says, let me tell you the good news. Jesus died, but he rose from the grave offering life to all who believe. 
And John and Paul use a lot of the same words, but what they exchange is righteousness and life. Paul says, he forgives your sins. John says, he gives you eternal life. Matthew says, he's setting up a kingdom that will never, ever end. So when you meet with someone who's never heard about Jesus or never heard of the God of the Bible, and you say, let me tell you good news, your sins are forgiven and you don't have to work for God's favor anymore, they will probably say, I didn't know I had to do that to begin with. So maybe as you start talking about the good news of the gospel, you listen. You find out what's bad news to them. You say, man, we live in such a broken world. And say, you know, there's a kingdom coming. There's one who was sent and he died and he rose to usher in this new kingdom where there'll be no tears and there'll be no slavery and there'll be no anything that's bad. It'll be good and this kingdom will never end. And they'll say, well, okay, is that true? Say it's true. I believe it. Look at the scriptures. The kingdom of God is coming. Like, well, what if I die before it happens? Well, the, the scriptures tell us that when we believe we have eternal life, that we'll live in this kingdom with him forever and ever and ever. And they say, but I don't think I'm good enough to get eternal life. Say, it's not about being good enough. He died and rose on your behalf so your sins might be forgiven and you'll be with him. It's all good news. See, when we start with the wrong things, sometimes we get stuck in the weeds of bad news when the gospel is supposed to be good news. It's good news. Good news travels fast. If you want to walk around with a picket sign saying everyone's going to hell, I mean, the news will probably travel fast, but you're probably not going to have crowds of folks coming to you from all cities saying, tell me what I must do to be saved. They'll probably just get mad and throw stuff at you, and you'll feel like you're being persecuted for your righteousness, right? But you're not. You're just preaching bad news. Matthew proclaims the gospel of the kingdom. You know, it's easy to think that if we just start doing these things, you know, preaching the gospel right, doing it right, finding the right way to say things, finding how to connect with people and telling them the gospel and all those things, that it's all going to work great for us. But I think we need to understand that even though Jesus had these amazing periods of his ministry where everyone was following him, he ended up dying, right? Like things were going really well for a long time, right? a couple of years, right? And people were following and following and disciples were made and he's sending people out and they're realizing the power of God and they're getting glimpses of the kingdom of God and they're getting equipped for the ministry of God. And then people start to turn on him. And they start wondering about the things that he's saying. You know, it's cool that Jesus heals. It's cool that he gives sight to the blind and it's cool that he makes the lame walk and it's cool that... He's putting broken people back together again. But, you know, he also claims to be God. That seems a little unorthodox. He also claims that he's the king of the universe. He claims that before Abraham was, I am. Right? He claims to be the God of the Old Testament. And so the religious leaders start to say, you know what? I don't care how much good he's doing. I don't care how good news he says this is going to be, but... Maybe Satan's giving him the power to do these good things because he's claiming some things that no human being should ever claim. And so they turn on him. You know, the disciples kind of expected that Jesus would march down the road into Jerusalem, ascend to the throne in the temple or something, and sit down and begin to rule. But instead, he gets in the temple and he turns the tables over, and people get madder. And then they grab him and they throw him in prison, right? And then they pull him out and they beat him, they put him on a cross, and they kill him for preaching the good news. But we know the good news is that that's not the end of the story. That Jesus died and he was buried, but on the third day he rose again. 
And the beautiful thing about that, and when we think about the kingdom of God, is that what Jesus was doing was he was kind of preparing to step onto his throne in power. When you think about a kingdom, if you wanted to start a kingdom, like an insurrection or something, like you decided you wanted to be the next president of the United States or the king of the United States or something, right, you'd have to gather some followers, and then you'd have to like overthrow the current power. I'm not like giving you an instruction on this. Uh, <laughs> feel like this podcast is probably monitored by the NSA or something. Uh, that's what you would have to do, right? You'd have to over, now I'm getting nervous, overthrow the current power. You'd have, some of you are taking notes. You'd have to kind of get to the place that you destroy your enemies and you set up your kingdom with the followers that you've made, right? And that's kind of what the disciples thought Jesus was doing, right? They were following him and he's kind of assembling this group of folks who are like, this guy's the next king of everything, right? And so like, oh, this is great. So he comes into Jerusalem and they're waving the palm branches, Hosanna the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're expecting that he's going to go and sit on the throne in Israel and send out an army of people to destroy the enemy of Rome and destroy that enemy, conquer them, set up his kingdom and push the boundaries out. That's what they're expecting, but Jesus turns the table over, doesn't sit on any throne, and then he gets himself arrested, put on the cross, and finds himself in the grave. But what the disciples didn't understand was that Jesus' enemy wasn't Rome. Jesus' enemy was death. That as the king ascends to power, he has to conquer his enemy first. And so Jesus walked into the temple, destroys the place, jumps onto the cross, dives into the crypt, Fights with the devil, right? Like conquers death, strangles it, emerges from the grave victoriously. Death is beaten and bleeding and gone. And then he comes out of the grave and he says, now I can ascend to my throne. Because Jesus' enemy wasn't humans. Jesus' enemy was sin and death itself. And so these disciples who were expecting a king who would sit on his throne and have a localized kingdom were wrong. That Jesus wasn't interested in slaughtering humans. Jesus was interested in slaughtering death and ushering in forgiveness. That's why Jesus told the disciples, it's good that I'm leaving. Because when I leave, I'm going to send you someone better. The Spirit of God. And he's going to come into your life and you're going to do greater things than I did. And the way that Jesus grows his kingdom is not by merely sitting on a throne and killing people. The way that Jesus grows his kingdom is ascending to his throne in heaven, sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God, and sending out his people with the spirit of God to establish his kingdom all over the earth. And when Jesus talked about the kingdom, that's how he talked about it. It's like a wheat field that kind of just grows and grows and grows. It's like yeast that grows and grows and grows. It's not like one thing here and then it just goes out like this as my people get my spirit and carry my kingdom into their neighborhoods and communities and countries and people groups all around the world. That's how I'm going to establish my kingdom to the ends of the earth. And so when we look around and we say, I wish Jesus was here. Jesus looks down and he says, I am here. You are the one that I have put in your community to be my representative there. And if we want to start seeing God do great things through us, we start to cultivate those same practices that Jesus did when his ministry started gathering steam. We see in this passage that as Jesus begins his ministry, first he declares his kingship. Jesus taught in the synagogues. And you ever see what he does when he teaches in the synagogues? He grabs the scroll of the Old Testament, opens it up, reads a passage, and says, that's about me. 
<laughs> he gathers God's people and says, when you look into the scriptures of God, you need to see that Jesus Christ is on every page. That he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. He's the fulfillment of all things the scripture talks about. He's a new and better everyone. He's better than Abraham. He's better than David. He's better than all things in the scriptures. And so when we gather together, that's what we do. If we're in the Old Testament, we're talking about how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. We're not going to tell you to go out and fight giants like David. We're going to say, you're going to lose, but one has come who has fought the giant and won. He conquered sin and death. It's about Jesus. We declare his kingship together as we gather in this place and sit under the teaching of his word. You ever wondered why it's different to be here than to be at home with a Bible? You know, you try to read the Bible at home and you learn some things, you take some notes, you apply it to your life. But if you sit in a place like this surrounded by God's people and sit under the teaching of the word, there's something different about that. And they're both good and they're both important, they're both necessary, but it's different. Even if you try to miss, if you miss a Sunday, you download the podcast because you want to just prepare for Super Bowl all day long. I'm talking to those of you listening right now on the podcast. Listen, preparing for Super Bowl all day long. You, maybe you're enjoying this sermon, whatever. But you know what? It's different. Because when God's people gather together, God speaks through his word to us together. And we walk away saying, you know what? Yeah, Jesus is the king together. And so one of the things that we do to cultivate a, a community where Christ can be exploding into all things is we declare his kingship from the scriptures together. Second, Jesus announces his kingdom. I'm sorry they don't all start with D. He announces his kingdom. He proclaims the kingdom of God. And we do that as we gather. Even when we take communion today, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But we also proclaim, and we primarily proclaim the gospel to those who haven't heard it. We proclaim the gospel to our neighbors. We proclaim the gospel in our workplace. We proclaim the gospel at our Super Bowl parties. We proclaim the gospel at family dinner. We proclaim the gospel where we go with our words and tell them about the one who has washed us clean of our sins. Tell, us, tell them about the one who has given us eternal life. Tell them about the one who has brought in a kingdom that will never end, that's full of justice and goodness. We tell them, we declare, we proclaim the gospel. And as Jesus begins his ministry, he exhibits kingdom life. We need to be careful that we're not just people who talk about Jesus, but that we're people who live out the kingdom of God as it has come to us. And that's the thing that caused Jesus' gospel to explode, was not just he was walking into churches where people didn't know him and claimed to be God. That doesn't work. But what did cause the traction to be made is that Jesus was a healing presence in whatever community he entered. And he was careful not to just be a healing presence. You know, he'd bounce around from place to place because he didn't just want to gather people who wanted healings. He wanted to gather followers of the true God, right? But as Jesus goes, he teaches, he proclaims, and he heals every disease and sickness among the people. This word healing there is the word therapy. Like he's not like a counselor like Freud or something. But what Jesus is doing is therapeutic. He's taking the world that's broken and he's healing it. He's putting it back together again. So if someone has a psychological disorder, he's healing their brains. If someone has a, has a spiritual disorder, he's casting out the demon. If someone has a physical disorder, he's healing their body. If someone has a relational disorder, he's causing reconciliation. He's taking broken things in this world, and he's putting them back together again. If we are to be a people where the world will say, wow, their Jesus is Lord, it's not just going to be people who gather and say, Jesus is Lord. It's people who do good in the world where Jesus has put them. 
who live out the kingdom, as people who exude kingdom ethics, as people who exude kingdom principles and do good in the world where they live. You ever drive down the freeway and you see like Parkview Presbyterian Hospital? You think, what makes that hospital Presbyterian? You do a little research, you find out that back in the day, churches would establish hospitals because they wanted to care for the sick in their community. They were living out the kingdom of God. You look in your bulletin, you see an announcement about uh, trafficking and stopping sex trafficking in our community. That's a good thing that God's people can rally around and bring the kingdom of God to fruition, to light, to even just starting up in a place where they live. Next week, we're going to gather and hear from Joey Chan as he tells us about an orphan care ministry, how we might be people who bring in through foster care or adoption or serving the the fatherless and motherless in our community, how we might be people who kind of put back together broken things in our community by serving and loving those without parents. That's a great way to exhibit the kingdom in the way that we live. In Luke's gospel, you can turn over to chapter 4. Luke puts all these three things together when he describes what Jesus is doing in all these towns. This is uh, chapter 4. Verse 14, same thing after he comes out of the wilderness. Luke is fleshing out what's happening when Jesus puts this proclamation, declaring his kingship, announcing his kingdom, and exhibiting kingdom life together. It says in verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Steps into a church, points to the Old Testament and says, this is about me. Proclaims the good news that the kingdom of God is here. And says what that's going to include is freedom to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, setting people free, stepping into this kingdom and watching it work. When we get discouraged because things aren't working in our lives and we feel like the kingdom's not flowing from our veins, we need to remember that on one hand, Jesus' kingdom work stopped too with the cross. And that was a good kind of stop. But sometimes I think we get nervous that if we drop the ball, if someone doesn't pick it up, the kingdom's going to die. You're like, I went to Cal. One of my favorite Cal moments of all time was the play. How many of you have heard of the play? Back in the 80s, playing Stanford, of course. And uh, they're coming down the field, and Stanford tries to take them down. And the guy tackles the Cal guy, and he just, like, laterals it to somebody else. I'm going football today. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Grabs the ball, starts running. A guy comes at him, he throws it to somebody else, right? Other guy catches it. Somebody comes at him, he throws it to somebody else. And all the way down the field, the band comes out. They're going around the band, throwing, 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 throwing. Like, oh, don't get tackled. We got to win this game. Keep this ball going. Sometimes it feels like that's what Christianity is, right? Like Jesus threw the ball to his disciples and said, don't drop this. And then someone tried to kill his disciples. Like, oh, and they throw it to somebody else. And like, oh, and then someone persecutes them and they throw it to somebody else. And we're just trying to get to the time when Jesus comes back and not drop the ball. That's not how it works. 
not how it works. We need to understand that it's not Jesus tossing the ball and saying, you guys try this. <laughs> that after Jesus rose from the grave and he told people, I'm going to toss you the ball, what he did first is he ascended to his throne. He ascended to heaven. He walked up the steps to his throne. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, and he began to rule there. And so Jesus tossed the ball to all of us from his throne. And if you read through the book of Acts, you see what the world looks like when the king of glory is on his throne bringing in his kingdom. He works through his people in magnificent ways. He gives people the spirit and they teach. He shows people how to live and they live that way. But he also works through everything else. He's controlling the elements like when Paul's on that ship and he's causing the waves of the sea and he turns it overboard and he puts Paul on that island. He takes nature and he stabs Paul with it so he gives him an opportunity to demonstrate that God is real. He's controlling the pagans. He's controlling Caesar. He's controlling all things because the king of glory is on his throne turning all things back to himself. And so it's not just you have the ball and you better not mess it up. It's the king of glory has stepped you into his purposes and he's orchestrating the world towards his kingdom. And if you drop it, he's going to keep working. And if it's not working in your life, it's not because you messed up. It's just because that's how God works. Sometimes he lets Paul get eaten by snakes and that's how he works, right? It's not your job to hold the ball or the kingdom will fail. It's not your job to hold on to some kind of ethic or the kingdom will fail. It's not your job to like keep our society looking good so the kingdom won't fail. It's your job to proclaim the gospel, to grow in his grace, and to demonstrate his goodness so that he can orchestrate his kingdom through you and reach the community around you. We as people who follow Christ with the spirit of God, as sons and daughters of God, we are kingdom bearers. We are children, sons and daughters of the kingdom who exude the kingdom wherever we are. If you live in a neighborhood, we'll talk about this next few weeks, you are salt and light there. There's nothing you can do but let it shine and not mess up, right? And if you do, God will stick another piece of salt there. We turn next week to the Sermon on the Mount and start talking about how God's people might live in this world as they shine out the kingdom around them. But what we need to realize is that God is the one working in us to do his work as he wants, as we surrender to him and let his spirit change the people around us. Really the bottom line is we need to surrender to him. If you want to see God do great things in your life, surrender to him. If you want to see God transform your family, surrender to him. Be a vessel that he will use to shine his light into the darkness. Be that purity, that salt in the world that will preserve this place so that when Jesus comes back, folks see him and worship him because he used you to transform them. And this morning we have an opportunity to take communion, receive the elements together. And for us, this is a reminder of the death of Christ, the power of the gospel. In this, we proclaim the gospel but in this also, we realize that we ingest Jesus for life. And Jesus said, uh, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. Right? And people said, like, whoa, okay. And they walked away. That's John 6. Read that later. But what he's saying is, I need to be in you. You need to ingest me. My spirit needs to dwell in you. Abide in me. And as we take this bread and we take this cup, it's a physical reminder that Jesus is in us. That he powers us. That he gives us life. And that if he's going to transform the world around us, he's going to do that through us as we proclaim it and grow in it and heal the people around us as we serve them. Let's pray together as the ushers come forward and then we'll take communion together.